It is good to sing with you this morning, uh, even times when uh, I can't sing, just to listen to you sing uh, is truly a blessing. My name is Jeff Crispin. I'm one of the elders here at Joy. I have the wonderful privilege this morning to uh, open God's Word uh, to us and share God's Word uh, with us. Um, we, uh, our normal practice here at Joy is we, we preach through books of the Bible. And uh, last week we kind of finished, we didn't finish, uh, for a season we, we, we kind of concluded our Acts study for a, a spell. Uh, we'll revisit that in a few months, uh, but we are going to start another series next week. But in between, sometimes we just do a kind of a standalone sermon. Uh, we kind of just come at the, at the end of a year, the beginning of the year, and at different seasons during the year, maybe just the congregation just needs to hear a word, a word, a word of encouragement, a word of blessing, a word of exhortation. And this is just kind of a beginning of the year uh, uh, standalone exhortation and encouragement uh, for us. And I just kind of got thinking uh, of something that I would uh, be able to kind of come and, and share with you this morning. And uh, I guess the word that kind of came to my mind was just perspective. Uh, as we would enter into this new year of 2024, it would just be good to kind of be encouraged in a way of just uh, perspective. And, and I picked a, a, t- a text um, that this is, is a good perspective text, and it was just kind of close to my heart, and I, I've never tackled it in this morning, and I've bit off way more than I can chew, uh, but Romans 8, and the conclusion of Romans 8, and it's kind of just kind of a mountaintop verse. And we, we don't lift scripture above scripture, but I think it was uh, Alistair Begg I recently heard. He said, all scripture is inspired, but not all scripture is equally inspiring. There's just good text. There's good truths, but not all are equally inspiring. And this is kind of a pinnacle. This is a mountaintop kind of text that can give us some good perspective. Uh, I had the opportunity. I had Joanna and Cole I was visiting them, and and multiple times, I never really spent much time in West Virginia. I think I drove through West Virginia once. But my daughter and Cole were one life, and and were in West Virginia, so I got to spend a number of trips to West Virginia, and I got to see a lot of West Virginia. There's a lot of beautiful places in West Virginia, and a lot of homes and just all over West Virginia. It was wonderful. But one day, Joanna took us up to the top of a mountain in West Virginia, And it's not only the top of a mountain, but it's the highest point in West Virginia. And there were some wonderful moments as we traveled about and went into stores and stopped by places and saw different things. But when we got to the top of that mountain, it's true, you don't talk. You're conversing the whole way up and you get to the place and you just, wow. It's just glory. It's just grandeur. It's just beauty. And you just don't talk. You just drink it in. I thought I knew West Virginia. Now, this is a whole different deal. It was awesome. And it kind of granted some perspective. I saw things differently. I wasn't thinking a lot about God through some of the places I've got. I got up at the top of that mountain, and I started to think about God. I started to think about life. I started asking questions. And sometimes we need to kind of maybe go to the mountaintop, and we need to get some perspective. I don't know about you, but kind of my life much time is very tunnel vision. I'm kind of just down here doing my own thing. I'm just trying to get through today, and maybe I'll get to the end of this week, and we'll get to the end of this month. And we lose perspective on who God is and what is God doing and, 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 and how is God's gospel applying to all these different facets and aspects of my life. I titled this message, um, what the, Safe and Secure, 
in 2024. Just a cute title, isn't it? Just a nice platitude for us all to just contemplate. Safe and secure in 2024. But brothers and sisters, if we're honest, we, we, we don't feel real safe and secure a lot of the times. Our lives seem very uh, full of, of, of being kind of shaken and, 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 and discouraged. And oftentimes the circumstances of our lives leave us just kind of feeling um, uh, defeated and, and exhausted. I tend to be very anxious and I can get uh, kind of depressed and I can get overwhelmed by my circumstances to the point where I begin to doubt God. I, I begin to doubt his word. I begin to doubt my, my faith. And sometimes I need perspective. Sometimes I need to go to the mountaintop and I need to get some perspective. I'm not living there. We don't live there. But sometimes we need to go there and just allow it to speak to our lives. I want to do that this morning. I want to go to Romans 8 and I want to look at verses 31 through 39. And I want to pray, I'm not going to say most of what maybe you want me to say. I'm just going to try to say what I can kind of say from this text. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Romans 8, verses 31 through 39. And I'm just going to trust that God is going to use this word this morning to grant some perspective as we enter into a new year. The Apostle Paul, Romans 8, beginning in verse 31, he writes these words. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of God. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, would you just in these few moments... Grant us understanding of this, your word. We don't want to presume that just because we're here and just because we're listening, we are going to understand the depths of your goodness to us in Jesus. But I pray that in these few moments, you would indeed give us perspective. Maybe you would take us to the mountaintop and help us to see some very simple, ordinary, common, glorious things in your word this day. Apart from your spirit, it will not happen. Uh, The flesh just profits us in no way, but the spirit indeed gives life. By your spirit, bring life to your word in the hearts of your people. 
And Lord, we will give you thanks, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I got three things. Three points uh, that I want us to see. I can't even begin to plummet the depths of these things. God is for us. God is for us. No condemnation. God is for us, no condemnation, and there is nothing. There is nothing that can separate us. If you don't hear me say one other word, I pray that God would impress those three glorious truths on your heart. God is for you this morning. There is no condemnation this morning. And there is nothing, nothing that can separate us this morning. Let's dive in and consider these three things. Let's begin. God is for us. Verses 31 and 32 say this. What then shall we say to these things? Uh, Paul is just kind of, he's bringing it to a conclusion. He's landing the plane. He's making his final application. What shall we say to these things? Everything I've said in in Romans chapter 8. Glorious gospel, all the finished work of Jesus Christ empowered by the Holy Spirit. All these things, everything I've said up to this point, Romans 1 through 7, including 8, and it seems like now he comes to an end. What shall we say to these things? Here's the great summation. Here's the great takeaway. Don't miss it. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's a glorious question. That question is worthy of our consideration. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, there's a whole lot. This this does not deny that there are things against us. There are plenty of things against us. I'm going to speak in my other points about things that are against us. Biblically speaking, there are things against us such as the world. We live in the world. And the world is just setting before us every kind of temptation, every kind of indulgence, a million things that's just going to keep us from having abiding faith in Jesus. We got the world. James tells us that the battle's not so much outside as the battle's inside. He says, not only do we have the world, but we got our flesh. I got passions. I got desires in my heart. And you know what? They're waging war with the spirit that God has put inside of me. We got the world and we've got our flesh and we've got the devil. And we just don't talk about the devil. We don't think much of the devil. Ought not to think much of the devil, but we ought to consider his ways. And the devil's not some tame, domesticated kitty cat. But the, domestic, the, the, the devil is a, uh, is, is a roaring lion seeking to devour, to destroy our faith. God is for us. There are many things against us, but the word says that if God is for us, nothing can truly be against us. Now, I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I do tend to see things quite differently. My daily life, I see things differently. Many of my days, my troubles feel really, really, really big, and God feels to be 
really, really, really strong. My troubles are right in my face. They're right in my world. I, I went to bed and they were on my mind, and I woke up the next morning, and they were right there in my face and on my mind, and God just seems distant and removed, and his promises and his care for me just seems to be kind of vague. That's how I feel a lot of the time. Now, I use the word feels. My problems feel big. God feels distant. There are times when I don't feel like God loves me and is for me. And I want to remind you, and I want to tell you this morning, Paul does not argue from the feeling level. Paul does not speak to us from the emotional level. Paul speaks to us with facts. God is for us, and if God is for us, nothing can be against us, and he speaks from facts. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He knows that God is for us, and he knows that nothing can be against us because he gave us the very best in Jesus. And Jesus came, and Jesus died for all of our sins. So I want us just to consider just a moment here. How can we know that God is for us? How can we know in the deep recesses of our hearts and our lives and experiences, how can we know that, that God is for us? Look at what God has done for us. God has done for us, start to finish. He who did not spare his own son. All God's doing, he did it willingly, lovingly. It was his plan all along. The word of God says before the foundations of the world, there was a lamb that was slain. God's not just responding to the mess that we made. This was God's plan from the beginning. At Christmas, he gave the greatest gift ever given in sending his son to save lost people. These are facts. God conceived of the idea. God carried out his plans to display his love for a people by graciously saving them through his son. God did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all. And as I just kind of think of that, just what triggered right in my mind is the story of Abraham. Abraham and his, and his son Isaac in Genesis chapter 22. The word of God says that Abraham, after this promised one, after this one had come in his very, very old age, the word of God says uh, to, to Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son Isaac, the promised one, the chosen one that we, we promised and now he's here, the son you love, and I want you to go take him to a mountain and I want you to burn him as a sacrifice. And Abraham did. He took his son, the promised son Isaac, he took him to Mount Moriah, he, he laid out the wood. He, banged, he, he, he tied up his feet. He laid him on the altar. He had the knife up above him. And God said, don't lay your hand on the boy. And he provides a substitute. He provides a ram that's in the thicket. 
And Abraham loses his son. He takes the ram and he sacrifices the ram on Mount Moriah. On that same mountain, 1,000 years later, God did not spare his son. He did not provide a substitute, but he made his very own son whom he loved to be a substitute for sinners. And he gave him up for us all. Jesus is of infinite worth. He is infinitely great. He is the very son of God. He is exceedingly precious to the father's eyes. I just read his baptism. He couldn't contain his joy. This is my beloved son. In him I am well pleased. And yet, it was the will of the father to crush him and put him to grief, Isaiah 53.10 tells us. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. So when he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? If he did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, these are facts. He is for us. He has fully demonstrated his commitment to our good by sending his son and by having his son die for our salvation. And then he says, if I've given my son, if I've sent my son, will I not along with him graciously give you all things. He's not going to give us everything we want in this life. That's not what this promise is. He's not going to give you everything that would just make your life better. He's not going to give you everything that you just, boy, if just this would be so, everything would be. That's not what the promise is. Rather, he will graciously give you everything for your eternal good. He is for us. And he will hold nothing back for our eternal good. And I just started to kind of think. I had a bunch of verses that I kind of wrote down and were planning on sharing as I close out this point. But the one that came to me is probably the most familiar to all of us. And I just don't think I think about it very often. It's the 23rd Psalm. And when I just think about it, he is the good shepherd. And just applying that personal pronoun, the the Lord is my shepherd. Shepherd, I shall never, ever, ever, ever be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul again and again and again. He, by his grace and spirit, leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even when I walk through dark valleys, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. How? Why? Because he's with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you know what? He anoints my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me every day of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He did not spare his own son, 
but he graciously gave him up for us all. How will he not along with him graciously give us all things? Brothers and sisters, our God is for us. Know this morning he is for you. It may not feel like it. You may not be experiencing that at the moment, but know, know this morning the truth of God's word that he indeed is for us. God is for us. Secondly, no condemnation. No condemnation. Verses 33 and 34, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. I missed it on all my initial run-throughs. I missed it for a week. Been working since Christmas Eve on this. And I just missed it. I just skipped over the questions. I didn't think much of the questions. The two questions that are there. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who is, who is it that condemns? And I just didn't give much thought and consideration to those. But I just think on the surface, it, 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 it doesn't seem like a big deal. But if we're, if we're really thinking rightly, don't, don't miss these two questions. Here's where I struggle. Here's where the rubber meets the road for me, and I believe there's probably many of us here this morning where this is where we have our greatest challenge. Let's take a moment. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? The answer? Well, nobody. It's easy to say, and it's kind of easy to Who is to contemn? condemn? Well, Jesus could, and, and one day he will. But for the believer in Christ in Romans 8... Who is it to condemn? Nobody. Can anybody bring a charge against God's people? No. Can anyone condemn God's people? No. But we sit here this morning, and we have many condemning things that are running through our minds, even as I share with you this morning. Maybe God is fed up with me. Maybe God's had enough of me. I am such a screw-up. I had a lousy week, and that just shows that God isn't for me, and he probably shouldn't be. Our consciences condemn us. They accuse us of lots of things. We have, Jason touched, we have lousy morning devotions. We have apathy towards others. We have selfish motives and attitudes. We fail to share our faith with others. We read books about Christians, and instead of being inspired by them, I just feel more condemned by them. I am one lousy Christian. How can a child of the king live like I live? I feel condemned. And we have an adversary. And oftentimes when we think of, of, of our adversary, we think, well, he's just out there trying to tempt me to get me into sin. And R.C. Sproul helped me this week in considering that uh, the, the main business of, of, of the devil is not tempting us. It's accusing us. Sproul says he never ceases to accuse us. He never stops harassing us, grieving our consciences, telling us how wicked we are, how undeserving we are, reminding us of our sin. He brings every conceivable charge against God's elect. 
Yet our text says, who can bring any charge against God's elect? Our text says, who is it to condemn? And the answer is, no one. Again, he doesn't focus on feelings, but on facts. How can it be? How can the answer be no? I, I feel completely otherwise, yet the word of God tells me no. The word says, it is God who justifies. What does it mean to be justified? And this is where I just got to be quick. What does it mean to be justified? Two things at its core. One, we have been forgiven our sins through faith in Christ's death and resurrection. We gather this morning, we have been forgiven our sins simply through faith by grace in Jesus' death and resurrection. And second, we've been declared righteous by God through Christ's perfect life of obedience imputed to us through faith. We are forgiven and we are declared righteous. God has forgiven all of our sin, all of it. Through Christ's substitutionary death on the cross, he paid the price. He bore our sin and guilt. The work is finished. Past sin, forgiven. Present sin, forgiven. Future sin, forgiven. All sin, through faith in Jesus' finished work on the cross, is forgiven. Amen. So be it. It is so. Our sins are forgiven in Jesus. And not only that, Jesus' perfect life of obedience imputed to us as righteousness through faith in him. God declares that we are righteous. He never declared us as righteous because of something we did. We are righteous through Christ's work alone. And there's nothing you did, and there's nothing you're ever going to do that's going to change what I just said. If we are in Christ this morning, there's no sin I'm commit. There's no place I'm going to go. If we're in Christ, the word of God says, he's not going to change that. You are forgiven, and you are righteous. That's what God's word says. Now, it's a paradox. It is a paradox. Jeff, you're saying I'm, I'm righteous. You're saying I'm justified. But I'm also still a sinner. Yep. And as a sinner, we still feel these sensations. As a sinner, we still feel the sense of condemnation. What do we know to be true? God has declared that we are forgiven, and God has declared that we are righteous. There is one statement that defines who we are. I'm borrowing it from Romans 8.1. And that's God's word for us this morning. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. None. No condemnation because we are all righteous in Christ. Got to pay attention to all the little words. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This isn't a future work. This isn't a when we'll get to glory. 
right now, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I battle just like you do. I stand up and declare these truths, and tomorrow morning, and even walking up the steps today, who am I? Who is sufficient for these things? Who am I? I couldn't sing because who am I to come up here and say this? We all feel it. We, we, we all experience it in our, in our emotions and in our minds, but the truth is I am forgiven of all my sins. I am declared righteous by a sovereign, almighty, gracious God who has come in his son, Jesus Christ. And we get to the place, are we going to live and believe our feelings? Are we going to live and believe our emotions? Or are we going to live and believe the word of God? We may not feel it, but this year might we just ask, because you, you're a whole lot of grace. And, and at the root of faith, we're going to ever speak of faith, at the root of faith is taking God at his word. This year, God, give me the grace to believe. I am declared righteous. I am forgiven of my sin, and there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I pray that we would, by grace, be people who take God at his word. The other word for us this, this morning, I won't linger long. Text says that who is it to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Christ died for us. He was raised. He's at the Father's right hand. He bore the guilt. He bore the shame. He bore the condemnation. And the word of God says, at the Father's right hand, he now intercedes for us. What is our hope? Not figuring things out. What is our hope? Not getting our act together. Our hope is that we have a Savior that's ascended to heaven. He is at the Father's right hand. This moment, he is interceding on our behalf. I think of the prayer with Peter. Satan wants to sift you like wheat. And Satan wants to sift me like wheat. And he wants to sift you like wheat. And we got Jesus at the right hand of the Father saying, I pray your faith won't fail. And my hope isn't me defeating Satan. My hope isn't me having a better week. My hope is my Savior's at the Father's right hand. And he's interceding for me that my faith and your faith won't fail. Our God is for us. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We need to go up to the mountain and we need some perspective. Let me close one more point. God is for us, no condemnation. And finally, there is nothing. There is nothing that can separate us. It was a good song. I don't know like kind of how it was, but the song was a good song. It, it captured uh, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. If you've got your Bibles open, if you're still there, verses 35 to 39. Hear, hear the word of the Lord this morning. Not just what I'm going to say, but hear the word of the Lord. See what God says about us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, 
nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's just volumes. That's, that's worthy of much discussion and consideration. Let me just briefly draw to a close. We have a final question. Who shall separate us from the, the love of Christ? And again, our answer, no one. Nothing. Um, uh, and, and really, the, the text has two components. Let me just go off the grid here. The, the text just has two components. There's all these trials and tribulations in life, and there's the main thing. The love of Jesus Christ. And, and, and we do have to be reminded, Matt was good in, in Sunday school this morning, like we do. I'm, I started my Bible plan this, this year, and for my Bible plan, read through the Bible in the whole year, I started in the book of Genesis, and I read through Genesis, just good to read Genesis 3, 6 again, and good to read Genesis 5 and 6 again. That, that upon the fall, the world was so evil, the world was so wicked, um, that they just continually were doing evil. Six chapters into the Bible, God is destroying the entire earth through a flood. And I do just kind of get blinders on. I don't realize the reality in which we live. Our world is, while there's common grace and while there's things that we enjoy and while believers enjoy things and unbelievers enjoy things, we live in a fallen, wicked world. We we live among sinful people, ourselves included. Um, We don't live in a world where there's just unending praise and adoration to God and people living for God's glory. And somehow we have this mindset that everything's going to go well and everything's going to fall into place. And we, we have lots of fears and phobias that just something's going to happen that's going to mess everything up and do. And we try to control and manipulate so it just doesn't. And at the end of this, we, we have this wonderful promise that there's nothing. In, in all this brokenness, in all this form, there's nothing. There's no outside distress. There's no inside distress. There's nothing that's going to happen to you that's going to separate you from the main thing. And so often we get caught up in all these distractions and we lose sight of the main thing. But Paul's taking us by the hand and he's taking us to the mountain. You're not seeing reality right. And yes, the world's a mess. But, 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 but be reminded, none of this stuff is going to separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. Not some doctrinal position. Not some idea. Not something someone's told me about Jesus. A very present, a very intimate, a very personal love that Jesus has for his people. I sat here last Sunday, and I have a, a, a whole bunch of examples I would like to share with you in closing, but I, I, I just kind of thought of uh, what would be one example to kind of illustrate as I close. And I sat over there last Sunday and listened to Larry preach. Many of us were here, a message from Acts chapter 16. The Apostle Paul wrote this book, and, and the Apostle Paul's writing this, this great summation. And the Apostle Paul lived this reality, imperfectly, weak man, He lived out this reality. And I sat there last Sunday. How? How can the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 6, him and Philip, or him and Silas in Philippi, how can these men go in through this town, do a good deed of casting a demon out of a servant girl, 
And then because of that, that sparked an interest in the people who were gaining money off of her, and they drag them to the marketplace. They unjustly try them in a quick decision that's made. Men are ordered to beat Paul and Silas with clubs. They are beaten with rods. The word of God says, and they had afflicted many blows upon them. And they took them to prison, and they took them to the inner prison. They put their feet in an uncomfortable stock position, and they left them there. And I sat there and I thought, how in the world do you read the next statement? At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and all the prisoners, prisoners listened to them. Paul and Silas are in prison. No lifting up Paul and Silas here. But Paul and Silas are in prison, and they're singing hymns and lifting up praises to God in stocks with broken bones and bruises and pains at midnight. What in the world is going on there? And I would say there's a point where we need to know great truth. But I believe what is going on here, these men have plummeted the depths of God's love for them in Jesus. The love of Jesus was so tangible and so present and so real and so significant to them that at midnight, with broken bodies, they could give praise and thanksgiving to God and in a very personal, a very intimate, a very passionate experience of the love of God. Paul writes in, in Romans 5, God has poured out his love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. This is no human love. I'm not talking Paul and Silas' love for Jesus. I'm talking Jesus' love for Paul and Silas and Jesus' love for us. Depths of love for us. In the morning when I cry, in the morning when I rise, 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 give me one thing. Give me Jesus. Don't give me an idea. Don't give me a philosophy. Just give me Jesus. We encounter in his word. We encounter him through the gospel. But this is personal. This is instrument. I'm married to a woman. I've been married for 34 years. I delight in being able to express love to my wife. I do it horribly a lot of the time. It's very weak and shallow and paltry a lot of the time, but I would tell you that God has granted much grace in a sense. I really enjoy eating meals and sharing time and sharing life with this woman. A frail, fallen human being delights in showing love to another. What is one thing we can say that Jesus Christ loves? He loves his father. Yes, amen and amen. Jesus loves his bride. Jesus loves his church. Jesus doesn't love buildings. Jesus doesn't love programs. Jesus loves redeemed people. And I don't believe he's going to be aloof. I don't believe he's going to be vague and indifferent. I believe he wants to pour out expressions of love, not so we can just be selfish and keep it to ourselves, but he wants to saturate our lives with his love. And Paul gets to the climax of climax and says, there ain't nothing, even death itself. Christ has defeated it. 
even death itself, I'm going to breathe my last breath on earth. And the next moment, I'm going to experience depths of love in Jesus Christ that my, man, my mind, this side of glory, can't comprehend. Death is going to serve me to more expressions and more fullness of experiencing the very love of Christ. And for all eternity, it's going to expand and grow in immensity and in passion and experience. There's nothing in all of creation that can separate you, brother or sister, from the love of God in Jesus Christ. He's a passionate lover of his people. And oh, I just pray we believe it. I pray this year we would rest in that great reality. It's not superficial. It's not just some subjective experience. It's one of the deepest, most profound that Christ would love us so much that he would die for us. He would rise again. He would pour out that love in our Holy, by the Holy Spirit. This isn't some human wrought love. This is the very love of God saturating our lives. Know this morning, God is for you. God, give me the grace to believe it. I, I don't think that way. I don't go about my days. Lord, help me to understand this grace that God is for us. And if God is for us, no one can be against us. If he didn't spare his son, he gave him up for us all. Will he not give you everything you need for your eternal good? He will. He will. And there's no condemnation. I know someone needed to hear that this morning. I needed to hear that this morning. We feel condemned. We feel lousy. But in Christ Jesus, no condemnation. God, our Heavenly Father, does not condemn us. Jesus, His Son, does not condemn us. Holy Spirit does not condemn us. Who am I to condemn you? And there's nothing. There's absolutely nothing in all the world that can separate us from His love. I think that's perspective. I think Paul brought us there for something. Not to live there. Not to live up on that mountain place. Not to be here listening and singing all the right songs. But as we would go out this door today, we would have a new confidence in Jesus. We'd have a new confidence in his finished work. We'd have a new confidence in his great love for us and that he, miracles, miracles, would love to pour that love out in our lives. It's a glorious gospel. We have a glorious Savior. And surely he's for us and he doesn't condemn us. And there's nothing that can separate us from his love. I want to pray a prayer as we prepare to come to the table of confession. I want to just confess to God on our behalf, thank him for what he just did, but I want to pray a prayer of confession as we would prepare our hearts. Um, there can be a good word from the pulpit, needs to be a good word from the pulpit. Brothers and sisters, this is a word. This is a really good word to his people. His shed blood, his broken body is a really good reminder. It's a good word that he is for us, that there's no condemnation and that nothing will separate from his love. Let's bow together for a time of confession. Father, we thank you for just meeting us here this morning, or the singing of songs, lifting of prayers, through the ministry of your word. And Lord, I do ask your forgiveness, me, for us, for our unbelief, that Lord, I will attach great energy and strength and thinking and giving myself to um, things that not proceed, do not proceed from faith, but just are 
attached to how I feel in a particular moment. I can get utterly consumed with how I feel and neglect the truth of what you say about me, my sin, the, 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 the condemnation and the guilt and the shame that I feel. There's a good way that you work in our hearts to draw us to repentance, but when I obsess and I live there and I dwell there, that's a place of unbelief. That's a place of not trusting your word. And I ask you forgive me and I'd ask you to forgive us. Lord, I have not lived this week, I have not lived this morning as if you were always laboring for my good. I've doubted it. I've questioned it. I've ignored it. And so have all of us at times. And we ask your forgiveness. We thank you for this reminder that's before us of a body that was broken and blood that was spilt to purchase those sins. And we thank you that you're a God. When we confess them, you hear them. And you cleanse us and wash us and forgive us. And Lord, we have neglected your love. Lord Jesus, you have poured out your love by your spirit in our hearts. And Lord, we haven't maybe seen that as the great good of our week, the, the great desire of our week. We've put a lot of other things ahead of just your love for us and your sacrifice for us and the good purposes you have for us. We've put many, maybe good things, and many just not even good things. We've just filled our lives with other pursuits. We thank you that we can come to you and that we can confess our sin and you're very faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So hear our prayers. Uh, forgive us because of Jesus. And Lord, we'll give you the praise. We ask and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.